Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Seeking Sustainability. Um, so I'm actually in Savannah, Georgia right now. For any of anyone who knows me or has listened to the podcast, you know that's the town I went to college in. Um, and that since then, I kind of talked deeper about this in my first episode, but since then I've been living at my parents' home slash childhood home, which means that no matter how hard I try, my childhood bedroom will never look as sophisticated as I hope for it to. So I'm in that place in my life where I'm like an in-between kind of stage and, you know, the pantry is always full, which is nice. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm creatively kind of like, and so not that I'm recommending traveling, but, you know, I kind of had a spark of spontaneity and booked an impromptu trip down to Savannah where I was drawn in by the vast, extensive options of espresso drinks that Savannah has to offer and the warm sunshine um, and the ability to walk places because it's not just in the suburbs. So that has been good for the soul creatively. And more importantly, this conversation is with Connor Humphreys, who is the founder of Bandit's Bandanas. Um, if we're talking about creative inspiration, this this brand has such cool products. They work directly with artists who create the design for the bandana, and then 10% of those sales go to a charity of the artist's choice. Um, so yeah, it's a cool product supporting great causes that diversify from bandana to bandana. Um, and yeah, they're just really awesome products. And I, I mean, I've been pretty transparent about my podcast where like, I mean, I started it like July of last year, so it's still relatively new. And I'm getting to the place where, you know, companies are starting to reach out. And so when Bandis reached out to me, I mean, not bad for the ego, but it was really, really exciting because this is a cool brand. I have several friends that follow them on Instagram. And I don't know. I mean, who doesn't love like some sexy ass bandanas that support great causes? But anyways, Connor was such a nice guy and really fun to talk to. Um, And we talk about everything from their origin story he and his wife transitioning from office jobs um he worked in like a corporate job to moving to bali um and leaving their dog with their parents which takes an immense amount of strength that if anyone has a has a cat or a dog or a hamster or a pet that breathes and lives then you know how hard that is to step away from them for even five minutes um so yeah, go, going to Bali and then kind of being unsure of what to do with the, themselves. And um, and then inspiration was sparked and they created this business. And we talk about, did I mention this? Supply chain, um, sourcing, his advice for entrepreneurs who are wanting to create a conscious business and a lot more. So I really, really hope this gives you guys um, a spark of inspiration or the creative boost that you need or might need right now if you're in a place where you're feeling a little bit stagnant, um, as I am slash was. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the episode and make sure to follow Bandits on Instagram and check out their website, banditsbandanas.com. They are about to drop a new collection, which is really exciting. So make sure to look out for that and, um, buy a bandana because why not? You know, they're really cool and they support great causes and they're an awesome company. And yeah, So I hope you guys enjoy the episode and let's welcome Connor Humphreys to Seeking Sustainability. Well, before I even get into, or you get into introducing yourself and whatnot, um, my first question, since you listen to episodes, you might already know, is (laughs) what does it mean to you to be an environmentalist? 
I guess to me, it means, you know, it, it's taking that extra, that extra second, that extra minute, that extra little effort in your day, um, you know, to think about what your impact is, to think about what, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, making coffee, getting in your car, you know, any action that you take every day, it's just taking that extra beat to think about, you know, how, you know, how you're doing that and how, how the process of doing, you know, that action is, is having an effect. Um, to me, I think that's, that's kind of what environmentalism really boils down to. Yeah. I love that. Well, the small things matter too. I think people overlook like their little, the habits in your daily life that add up that if you made like little tweaks or took a little bit of extra time to think about it instead of just going to like convenience, which tends to be the norm, then it would make a huge difference. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, just introduce yourself, introduce your company. I've read your story, so I'm really excited to talk about Bali because I have lots of questions um, about I, I that. Oh my gosh. I went down a weird rabbit hole last year. No, not weird. It was normal. A rabbit hole last year where I was like, I told my boyfriend, I was like, we're moving to Bali. I'm enrolling our future kids in this like tree school where the whole school's made of bamboo. The and green, like, yeah, I, we're like dead set on sending our kids. <laughs> did a whole class project about it. Um, yeah, but but aside from that, um, yeah, just talk about how you created Bandits and, and your story and whatnot. Sure. Um, I guess I'll go all the way back to the beginning. Um, my wife, Nicole, and I, um, she was, uh, at the time, my fiance. We were both working in uh, Los Angeles. We were living in, living in Venice Beach, li- working in Los Angeles. I was working in... Um, commercial real estate finance. So, you know, very corporate office job. Um, uh, and she was the director of a, of a nonprofit. Um, but, you know, also working kind of office job, long hours, stressful, you know, kind of nine to five type of work. Um, we'd been together for a while, uh, that we were getting married in November of that year. So that was 2016. Um, and I think both of us at the time were sort of getting a little burnt out on that lifestyle. Um, you know, the office nine to five, uh, you know, type of lifestyle. And we, after we got married in November, 2016, we went on our honeymoon to Bali. Um, Amazing. <laughs> it was, it was fantastic. Um, I think, you know, Bali itself is amazing, but I think also just for both of us, it had been such a, such a year of kind of being so hyper-focused on work and on the wedding and not really stepping outside of ourselves um, as much as we, you know, as much as we should have. And that two weeks in Bali really allowed us to just, you know, breathe, disconnect, kind of take a break that, you know, that we so sorely needed. Um, And while we were over there, we had never really, we'd never really heard of the, the digital nomad uh, yeah. you know, concept, yeah. or, you know, this movement of people working on their laptops and these beautiful, you know, surf destinations. And while we were over there, we were, you know, seeing this all over the place. There's, you know, these co-working spaces where people are, you know, barefoot and board shorts and working on their computers and, and dream. You know, <laughs> running companies, that kind of thing. Um, 
and as people who were you know in this nine to five grind were like what is this you know what is how are you doing this so we got we kind of got to talking to some people um you know while we were in Chenggu and Ubud um which are kind of two big hubs of of that you know digital nomad lifestyle over there and and just sort of learning about that and getting intrigued by it and then when we came home from our honeymoon getting back into those jobs it it just wasn't the same you know we we were both kind of just like what are we doing um and we went to about a month after we had got back we went to lunch one day and nicole it was she was dead set she was like i want to move to bali yeah, just like you were saying she's it's like so i funny. want to move you know i want to move to bali i think we can do this let's figure out how to make it work you know looking at me as if you know, kind of like waiting for my answer she's like what you know what do you think and how you know i was in the middle of a bunch of you know just stressful projects that i was really burnt out on and i just looked at her i was like yeah let's do it <laughs> so from that moment we kind of figured out how to do it sold all sold a bunch of our stuff um graciously my parents were able to take our little dog <laughs> uh for you know for a year and we decided we were going to move to bali for for a year um and we we kind of had some savings that we you know that we could last on while we were over there and we said if we if nothing kind of comes of this after a year if we can't think of anything by the end of that year you know then we'll come back we'll just you know we can get jobs again we're both very you know employable people with you know, track records and resumes. So, you know, we'll come back and we'll get jobs if we can't think of anything. So that's kind of how we went over. Um, Nicole had, uh, she had a company that she was kind of, had an idea for, um, you know, sourcing products, um, artisan created products over there, home goods, handbags, um, you know, really beautiful stuff like that. Um, so she kind of had that idea going in my idea was I'm, I'm going to take a break. <laughs> um, at that time, I'd been, I'd been about 10 years into the real estate industry. Um, and just going over there, I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do nothing for a little bit and just kind of, I bought a really nice camera to go take some, you know, take some photos and, and go around the island shooting waterfalls and jungles and um, all that kind of thing. And that's, that's kind of what ended up leading to, to the bandit story is I was on the back of, um, the way you get around over there is on these you know, little scooters, motorbikes. Um, so I was, I would get up early in the morning to go hop on the back of the bike, go shoot, you know, grab my camera, go shoot sunrise over a waterfall or on the volcano or something like that. And, um, as I was going on these rides and Nicole would come with me sometimes, um, you know, as you're riding, you kind of need something to cover your face. So we just had these, I don't even know where they came from. It was just these bandanas that were in our luggage. I don't know if it had come from a friend. I don't remember buying it, <laughs> you know, uh, but it was just, it, it was just this old bandana that was in there. And as, as we got to wearing them on the rides, uh, Bali is pretty hot and muggy. So, uh, eventually they needed to go to the laundry. <laughs> um, so we needed a backup. And as we were looking around, 
for, you know, like, let's go buy a new bandana. And as we were looking around, I don't know if you've ever shopped for a bandana or seen most bandanas in a store. As we're looking around, you know, you, you see these bandanas and they almost feel like they're, you could snap them in two. The cotton's like cheap. So, yeah. The cotton's so cheap. It's so stiff. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of them have like this plastisol kind of, it's like this paint, this like plasticky paint that just yeah. kind of sits on top of the fabric. Um, and as we kind of started looking at that, we're like, oh man, this is just not what we're looking for. We want something comfortable, something that maybe has a little bit of story to it. And the other thing is, you know, everything was just paisley. Paisley print, paisley print, that same, you know, standard bandana print, uh, you know, that you, you kind of associate with bandanas. And it got us thinking, we started asking around to friends, like, is there a cool bandana company out there? You know, there's a million, you know, sock companies, right, that, that do funky socks, and right. there's all kinds of business models around socks. Like, there's got to be that for bandanas. And as we started asking around, and nobody, nobody could think of one, um that was kind of the light bulb moment like that's that's maybe something we could do um and nicole had kind of been in touch with some suppliers and manufacturers on the island uh for her brand so i kind of started tagging along to those meetings figuring out you know found a screen printer found a um you know a cotton wholesaler on the island and just kind of got going starting making samples um originally just sourcing uh, pre-printed cotton at, at some of the markets, the local markets there in Bali, um, just looking for, you know, designs that I thought were cool, something a little different. As I, you know, as we kind of looked around, we just weren't finding what we, what we wanted it to be. Um, you know, the patterns and things were, were cool, but they just weren't, they weren't quite, you know, what we wanted in a bandana. Um, and we got to you know, the, I say that the first light bulb moment was figuring out to make the bandanas. And the second light bulb moment was we were talking to some friends at home who were artists and trying to figure out how to, you know, I'm not a designer. I can barely draw a stick figure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, nobody wanted me to, nobody would buy a bandana that I designed. Um, but we were talking to some artist friends and they put us on to, um, this site called 99designs where you can, you can go on and you can kind of put out a project and artists, you know, and, and give, a, give a budget and artists will submit their designs for you. So taking that suggestion and talking with our artist friends, we're like, why don't we have artists design these? Like we, you know, we're not designers. Why don't we put it in the hands of the professionals? And then each one will be completely original um, you know, so we'll just, we'll, we can commission designed bandanas that will be way cooler than anything we could ever, right. you know, buy or think of. So that was, that was sort of, like I said, the second light bulb moment of let's make this, you know, let's make this about the artists. Let's make this about totally original design and like push this into a, you know, a whole new, a whole new world of, of bandana designs that, you know, are going to be exclusive to us. We'll never you know, these designs will never be seen anywhere else except for, you know, with our brand. So that was, that was kind of a huge component. And then, you know, the other two things from the very beginning is we really wanted to focus on a give back 
component and we really wanted to focus on sustainability. Um, yeah. The give back component, originally, you know, Nicole had worked in the nonprofit sector. I, I had been involved in nonprofit work, um, you know, on and off throughout my career. And, you know, we, it, was, it was sort of how we were gonna do it and not if we were gonna do it. Um, and it was just kind of figuring out, we, we banged our heads against the wall trying to figure out, okay, like what's the, what's the right cause for this? You know, being in Bali, we were, you know, we were exposed to so many, you know, environmental causes, like the, you know, the ocean plastic is a huge problem yeah. um, in Bali and plastic in general, sort of on the island was something that, you know, once we moved over there and a lot of the people that we, you know, worked with in our co-working spaces and there was just a huge movement of people doing, doing that work. Um, but there was also stuff that we cared about, at, you know, at home. So we, we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't figure out, we couldn't pinpoint like what's the cause that we, you know, that we want to support. Um, and that was sort of the third, the third big step was figuring out like, oh, why don't we put this in the hands of the artists? You know, each artist that we work with, they have their own passions and it will kind of bring them into the fold a little bit and give them a little bit more of a purpose behind their design if they're doing it for a cause or a charity that they're, that they're passionate about. So that was, that was the, the way we implemented that, that big component of the brand where we have the artists actually choose a charity um, each artist that designs a bandana for us chooses a charity that they're passionate about, and we donate 10% of the sales proceeds from their design to their chosen charity. So, you know, each bandana is a different artist, a different charity. It's it's kind of an encapsulated story uh, in and of yeah. itself. Like each each product that you're looking at on, you know, on our website or each product, each bandana that you buy from us. So that, to us, that kind of creates a, more of a connection between the customer and our product and that you're not yeah. just buying a bandana to where you're buying, you know, you're, you're feeling a connection with this artist, what this artist is passionate about and, you know, knowing like why they created this. Um, so that was really important to us from the beginning. Um, and then the sustainability component, which is, which is kind of the third big pillar of our brand is, um, you know, we, from the beginning, we always said that we wanted to make, we wanted to make bandanas better, not just, not just the designs, not just, you know, the give back component, but also the, every step of the way in the manufacturing process. Um, you know, when we originally started looking for the, for, for the bandanas, you know, we noticed that it was, you know, this low quality cotton, plastisol paints, you know, there was no transparency in terms of, you know, where, where these bandanas were being made, where the cotton was coming from, um, you know, what, how sustainably, you know, harvested or, or manufactured any of that stuff was. So we, you know, from the beginning, um, we wanted that to be a core component of our brand and we always wanted to be working to improve that aspect of our brand. Um, and that's, that's sort of what brought us to, um, kind of all brought us to the launch. So we, you know, started making samples kind of 2017 in Bali, working with some local manufacturers, printers, suppliers there. Um, and we launched the brand in April of 2018, 
came back to the States um, to kind of launch the brand here. Um, and what we were really trying to do with the launch was, was prove out the concept. It was, you know, is this even going to work? Is this something that, that people are even going to want? Is this something that people are going to respond to? Um, and when we, and when we launched, they did, it, it was, it was kind of a slow burn. It built up, you know, over 2018, we kind of, as we built our social media platforms and, and things like that, it, it, we started seeing people really connecting with the, you know, with the purpose of the brand. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it told us that this was a real thing. Um, so we, at, from the, you know, in the beginning, we started, manuf- you know, we did our first run in Bali with kind of local manufacturers who were able to do you know, these very small runs for us. Um, we were using, um, you know, we were just using wholesale, you know, wholesale cotton um, from suppliers there. Um, and even after that first run, we're like, we know this needs to get better. It's just that we, you know, we need to prove out this concept and then we're going to focus on making it better. So I guess the, the, the next big step in, you know, in our history was kind of late 2018. We knew that now that we had it kind of approved out concept, we needed to figure out how to make the manufacturing process more sustainable, more, more transparent, um, and, and scalable really. Um, so we, our initial thought was moving production to the United States because you know, just the sustainability aspect of the transportation, you know, international um, you know, shipping or even air freight, you know, takes up a, uses a you know, lot of fossil fuels used in, yeah. used in that process. Um, so our, we started searching in the United States spent a lot of time going down rabbit holes with different, you know, with different suppliers. And it's, it's kind of incredible that made in the USA does not always mean made in the USA. It's uh, so tricky. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we learned, you know, I wouldn't say we learned it the hard way, but we just, we didn't know. It, it, we, we went into this with no experience in the garment industry in in retail, in anything, we kind of just, we kind of just dove in, um, you know, just thinking, it's like, all right, well, this is a good idea. And we made a couple bandanas with some artisans on the side of the road in Bali. And we're like, all right, this is easy. Uh, and then once we realized, okay, there's a whole, you know, there's, there's so many different levels to this when you start scaling and when you start needing to, you know, work with larger suppliers and, and that kind of thing. So when we were looking in the States, what we figured out was even, even though a lot of the printing is done in the United States, almost 99% of the cotton used and even in bandanas that say made in the USA. Uh, is supply probably, chain just such a fun, awful um, thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, that was a, that was a learning lesson. Um, you know, spent a lot of time you know, going down the line and figuring out that what we, the cotton that was, the cotton that was most similar to the product that we had developed in Bali, which was, you know, it was incredible. You know, the the cotton was unbelievably soft, held the print really well. 
um, you know, we had done a ton of testing, ton of sampling to find this like, you know, perfect blend. Um, and then we kind of set out to try to work with somebody to recreate that um, in a more sustainable, you know, more sustainable, looking for organic cotton, um, you know, sustainable sourcing. But, you know, what we found with, with United States suppliers was that anybody that was, anybody that was kind of promoting themselves as organic cotton suppliers, you know, it was all, okay, yeah, like, yes, it's all made, you know, it's all done here in the USA, but the more questions you ask, the more questions you ask, it's, oh, well, the cotton comes from India. Oh, well, the cotton comes from China. Cotton comes from, you know, wherever. Um, so what that taught us was like, well, if these guys are getting the cotton from India, like we already know how to, like we've already worked with international suppliers. We're already over, you know, we were going back and forth between the US and, and Bali. So we were, you know, we were over in Southeast Asia quite a bit and, and we're you know pretty familiar with hopping around doing, you know, visa runs to different countries around, uh, around Southeast Asia. So I was like, why don't we just try to find like if they can find these suppliers of cotton, we can find them too. And we could probably find somebody that does it, you know, the way that we want to. So I think it was, it was hard to kind of give up the idea of sourcing in the United States, but after really going down that, that road, it, it doesn't, the way that we wanted to do it didn't really exist in the United States. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cotton's a whole can of worms. Oh my yeah. gosh. I could, there could literally just be a whole podcast show about cotton. Um, it's crazy. I, I, know more, <laughs> I know more about it now than I ever, <laughs> ever thought that I would. You know, yeah. uh, 10 years ago, if you told me that, I would know this much about cotton. Um, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, cotton's such a, it's so fascinating, but such a, headache too um so the fact that you guys are like you know actually like really cared about where you're sourcing your cotton I just like give you the biggest thumbs up because that's a lot of work (laughs) and it's not easy um and of naturally naturally I'm gonna ask questions more about the bandanas your supply chain artist but the question that's like been pressing on me this whole time was it hard for you to leave your dog it was (laughs) uh it was it was very hard um my parent, he, my parents are, are great dog grandparents. <laughs> like to say. So they were really, they were really excited about it. He was, he was going from, you know, a small apartment in LA to uh, my, I'm from Nebraska originally. So he was going from a small apartment in LA to like a nice house with a yard in Nebraska. So oh, that's luxury. It was kind of like he was going to, you know, boarding school or something. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask, um, how do you go about finding the artists that you work with? Sure, sure. Um, I guess it's kind of evolved over time. Um, originally, Instagram, uh, you know, is is Good the tool. biggest source of of where we're finding artists. Just kind of, you know, follow, finding artists that we like and following them, and then seeing who they follow. So, you know, that just sort of the natural. Um, you know, networking that, that Instagram does provide. Um, there's a couple of other sites that we've used. I told you about 99designs, um, which we used a couple for a couple of designs in the beginning. 
Um, and then also there's a site called Dribble, D-R-I-3-B-S, D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E.com, um, which is where artists can kind of just post their portfolios. And it's almost like a, a social network for specifically for graphic designers. So you can kind of follow, you can just follow somebody's portfolio and it'll kind of keep your you know, newsfeed updated with their new posts and designs. Um, so we discovered it, some artists that way. Um, there's another one that's kind of similar called Behance. Oh um, yeah, Behance is fantastic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of, Behance and Dribbler are sort of similar, different, you know, different models of the same same thing. But um, yeah, in the beginning, that's where we were um, really discovering a lot of our artists, uh, you know, getting suggestions from friends, um, from you know, the, the sort of first batch of artists that we work with, getting suggestions from them of other people who they really thought, you know, would, whose who's work that they liked. But then as we evolved, it was learning, learning the styles that work well and print well on bandanas. Yeah. So you know, they, we had, we had even in our first collection, um, you know, we had, a designer, you know, a couple of designers that we worked with that we really loved their, loved their work. But then we realized that, you know, if you start getting into eight colors, nine colors, 10 color designs, those don't work. <laughs> um, when you're, you know, when you're screen printing bandanas, you start getting into all those colors and, and each, each color is one screen. So the more, oh, okay. Yeah, so the the way that it works is the the way our bandanas are printed anyway. We do them kind of in an old school method. Um, it's called table printing, where the sort of the bulk reams of cotton are stretched out over these you know hundred yard, hundred and fifty yard tables. Um, and we actually have it'll be two people kind of standing across the table from each other, passing the screen back and forth. Oh, okay. I've seen that before. Yeah, yeah that's really so cool. It's a, it's a really old school method um, that really, that again, we discovered kind of only exists in, you know, India, Southeast Asia. Um, there's, there's not, there's nobody really doing it in the United States on a, on a scalable level. I mean, there's people that do it, you know, backyard printing in, in small yeah. shops. Um, and what it does is it allows for a lot better penetration of the ink into the cotton. So one of the biggest things that we didn't like about bandanas in the beginning was that they were always one-sided. So you'd get like, you'd get to the backside oh. and it was like, just, it was either, you know, white yeah. or very, very faded. And this, um, you know, this table printing method, it allows the penetration of that ink through the cotton it's it's not a hundred percent, but it's it's you know ninety five percent. So you can almost get to the point where the front and the back of the bandana are identical to each other. That's so uh, awesome. We really loved about that method. Yeah, that's, that's seemingly. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that that's just that's why we you know we are kind of we fell in love with that method, and and that's that's how we make all of our bandanas to you know to this day. We do, you know, we've sort of evolved now that a lot of people, we, we're getting submissions all the time, um, you know, from, you know, from smaller artists that, we, you know, we, we never would have found, right? Uh, 
you know, on Instagram or, or, or any of these other sites. And, um, you know, we're, we're getting submissions from people that are incredible. Uh, awesome. And then, yeah, so we, we've done the past two years, we've done an open design contest as well. That is, that has given us a ton of, um, I'd say, I think six or six or seven of our current designs all came from, um, design contests that we, you oh, know, wow. open design that we had, you know, we just kind of posted on, posted on Instagram, offer, you know, cash prize and got, you know, each time we've done it, we've gotten hundreds of submissions. Um, and then we kind of pick finalists and put it up to the Instagram community to vote on it, uh, which has just been a fun thing that we've done. And it's, it's, you know, from, from kind of small artists of people who aren't really even, they're not, you know, they're, they're not career artists, I guess. And they're, they're, they do, you know, they do graphic design on the side or it's not kind of their main thing um, that have created incredible designs for us. So um, that's, that's so been cool. a really cool, uh, really cool way that we've sourced some, some of our designs. That's so awesome. If you could give someone who maybe is interested in starting like a, a more conscious business, some mm-hmm. advice from what you've learned, because um, it seems like you've you guys have been on quite on on quite the journey. Um, what would that advice be? I guess just my biggest advice would be stick to your guns. Um, you know, if you if you want to make your your business a certain way, you know, if you have a principle that you want to include in your business, um, there's a lot of. It, even with us, like there's a lot of opportunity. You're going to find a lot of opportunities along the way to take the easy way out, which is often the less sustainable way. Um, And there's, to me, I I think that you'll find in the long run by sticking to those core principles, um, you're going to, you're going to have more success in the long run because you're going to connect with people. You're going to connect with your customers and your core, um, you know, your core consumer, your core kind of fan base, um, so much more than if you, you know, than if you kind of, you know, if you go kind of like the greenwashing route or if you go with, okay, well, we'll, we'll do that thing, but you know, we'll, we'll kind of be more lax on, you know, on this other principle that we wanted to stick to. So for us, it's those, those three core principles of charity, originality, um, and what we like to call it conscious quality. So it's, it's making the highest quality, you know, product that we can while also staying true to, you know, uh, transparent supply chains, sustainable manufacturing, um, you know, and and doing everything the right way, fair trade manufacturing, so I think that the advice is by sticking to those, you know, finding, you're finding kind of your, your North star, finding your, your core principles yeah. and sticking to them um, is going to, you know, as opposed to taking the shortcuts is always going to end up making you more successful and making your brand really connect with people, um, you know, in the long run. Well, it kind of makes me think of something that you said earlier that I really loved, um, that when you and Nicole were trying to figure out, I think it was like the gift back program. It wasn't a matter of if you were going to do it, it's how you were going to do it. And I just think that's 
that is really great um, and kind of connects to that too. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're both, you know, we're, we learn so much from other people in Bali about how, you know, Nicole kind of came from the nonprofit world and when you, you know, working on, on the more corporate side of things, you know, I, it, it took us a little while to learn, learning from other people about, you know, how much impact a for-profit company can actually have. Um, yeah. And, and in, in certain cases, it's almost, you know, if, you, if you're a growing company that's also you know, giving back and doing good, like the, the possibilities become you know, almost limitless, you know, with how, how far you can grow and how much good you can do. So, you know, we, we really kind of dove into that idea when, you know, when we were both building, you know, Cole was building a brand, I was building, you know, a, a brand with bandits and we, you know, we eventually kind of both merged together you know, to follow, you know, to follow the bandits path. Cause that's just what, you know, what has been hitting. Um, but, you know, always with this idea that it's not just about making money or supporting ourselves. It's about, uh, yeah, it's about building something that does, that leaves a legacy and has an impact beyond just, you know, selling more bandanas and, and making more money. The idea of le- leaving a legacy seems to be s- such a common thread that connects business owners like yourself. Um, the My boss says the same thing. The first time I ever met her, she said, you have to think about leaving a legacy. What kind of world are you going to leave behind for your kids? The woman I, who's... Um, that I just spoke to in the last episode said the exact same thing. So that's definitely a common thread. And that's really cool to see how these like similar, not even just similar, but like exact same thoughts connect entrepreneurs like yourself. Um, And as an individual and also an entrepreneur and environmentalist, what gives you hope for the future? I I guess I would say that that what we're doing is becoming more of a norm. Yeah. I think that's, that's really encouraging is that, you know, people, people are, consumers are starting to demand this. Consumers are starting to demand transparency. Consumers are starting to demand that, you know, the for-profit companies, the brands that they buy from are doing more than just selling them a product. You know, they're, they're, they're having an impact. They're, they're allowing that, customer to have an impact with, you know, with the purchases they're making. And, you know, the, the fact that that has gone from, you know, companies like, you know, like a Tom's having this as sort of this novel idea 10 years ago to now that it, it, it's, it's almost like if you're a new brand and you're not doing that, it, it, that, that's, that has become the, that's become the outlier is if, you know, if you're, if you, if you, if you're doing something that doesn't have an impact. So I think that gives me hope that, that, that consumers are out there sort of voting with their, voting with their pocketbooks, voting with their wallets of this is what we want private industry to be is, yeah it, you know, you, you don't have to go start a nonprofit. You can start something that, you know, that supports you and, and, and so and supports your you know your employees and, and makes money but it should also 
have an impact. It should also be cognizant of the impact that it's having and try to do more, you know, try to outweigh any, you know, sustainability impacts that it's having with, with the good that it does. That was a really good answer. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> Typically, that's my closing question, but I'm going to switch it up. Um, did you dabble in yoga while you were in Bali? <laughs> I did. There's Nicole, so many Nicole yogis there. <laughs> I did. It's, it's amazing over there because, I mean, you can do yoga in a treehouse and <laughs> overlook the ocean. It's, you know, as opposed to, you know, coming back to the States and it's just a room in a, in, you know, in a strip mall. It's, it's oh, a little really more accurate. appealing. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I did it. I would not say that I got as in, you know, my wife, Nicole's, she's very into it. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, she's, she's definitely more of the yogi, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed I will say I really enjoyed doing yoga in Bali. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Seeking Sustainability. If you enjoyed this episode or any others that you've listened to, then make sure to follow the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. Also, to stay connected, you can follow the podcast Instagram at Seeking Sustainability underscore podcast and my personal Instagram at Julia.Planford. As always, feel free to reach out to me regarding any questions, comments, or episode requests. And of course, share this podcast with anyone who you feel might be interested in learning a bit more about environmentalism and sustainability as well. Thanks everyone, and I will talk to you guys soon.